Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality. This is about the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, who is the very source of reality and the reason for which all things exist and consist, including your life. And the very source of reality is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, which is the very source of love. Now, for those of you that are new, I want you to be aware of my website at ultimatemeaning.com. There you will find a flip book where there's very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. Feel free to read that book. A lot of print is highlighted in red, and those are actually links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos from many fields of science and archaeology that exposes a great mastery of deception and that the vast majority of the public are not aware of. And if they saw these videos, we'd be very surprised and amazed at how they have been lied to. So check that out. And I also now have a video up there that answers many of the questions and gives great understanding to who the one true God could only possibly be. So now I want to address those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, who is this ultimate perfection of love, which I describe in detail in the video I just mentioned at ultimatemeaning.com. It's just a little further down. There's a large video there on the home page, not right at the top. So I'm here to share with you that have received Jesus Christ truly from the depths of your being into your life, that have been saved and reconciled to God. What I want to do here is just explain to those that are new how I share these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So I will seek in this time here to speak and allow God to speak by his Spirit through me. Another scripture that explains this further is Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is basically allowing God by his spirit to speak through us beyond our own natural selves. And it is when we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great reverence and humility for God, that we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances coming from the spirit of God. When it says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is particularly referring to believers coming together around Jesus Christ to meet with the living God in fellowship and communion corporately. It certainly applies to our whole life as well, because we should always be allowing and seeking to cultivate letting God speak through us to one another beyond ourselves. But when the early church came together, 
There was total freedom for them to share as the Spirit of God moved upon them. There's very few churches nowadays that enter into this. But I could tell when I was going to this one church in North Vancouver years ago, I, the odd time I still visit them, the Spirit of God rose up in me. I could tell when the Spirit of God was rising up into me and wanting to come out. And I didn't want to quench the Spirit, so I had maybe a seed thought and to sing it out. And I would sing it out and it would be a beautiful song. Or I would speak it out and it would be a beautiful word of encouragement or a prayer. And so it was in the beginning. There was total freedom to share, to allow God to speak, whether it's a prophetic word in the sense of uh, telling the future, a word of knowledge in the sense of having things revealed that you could not know in the natural, or just a word of encouragement or testimony or song. But everyone had the liberty to share. And this is a new order that God is going to restore in the church in the very last days. This is part of a new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assemblies. Whether it's two or three or very small congregations of a hundred or whatever size, God wants to move through his corporate body. So I want to share with you also that I have a book on Amazon titled God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which I wrote. I haven't tried to advertise it or promote it yet, but it's been up there for some time. I do have a recent book that I am advertising up there. It's just beginning to get underway, and it's all on the afterlife, and it's titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. But this book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, is all about what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting that a local assembly with his Holy Spirit in a fullness. And as I am speaking here today, on February the 18th of 2023, many people are becoming aware of a revival that is taking place in Kentucky in the United States. I saw a lot of report of this in the war room that has way over 20 million people that watch them each day. Um, from around the world, and especially from the United States. And they've been reporting on it in depth and in length. And so you have this university there where they have been worshiping God almost 24 hours continually for now 10 days. And it's mostly young people. And there's no person leading it or any personality. They're just conscious of God in their midst and they're doing a lot of singing and worship. I believe God wants to channel that into something far greater, which is this new order that will come into local assemblies. And even there, I think they are going to start going into smaller groups where it's not going to be a focus around some leader. It's going to be a focus around being conscious of Christ in their midst. And there's going to be this liberty for people to share. And if they're on a university, they can kind of rotate it and have different people with different people every time if it feels so led by the Lord. But God is wanting to do something that is way beyond anything that has ever happened in the history of this world and in the history of the church or of Israel in these last days. And it is that he will begin to inhabit local assemblies in a fullness of his presence and glory. 
when we see the crisis that the world is in right now, which is dire, and I'm not going to share much about it here because it's going on YouTube, but the crisis is serious around the world. And so many of our institutions have become very corrupt. And so this message is to bring forth, to help to bring forth, to align with God's ultimate purpose for the last days, which is to bring forth corporate assemblies that are his corporate bride, that are fearless and will conquer the nations with the love of God by carrying his presence in their assembly that breaks the darkness over their cities and communities in the spiritual realm, allowing the presence of God to come upon people so that they are delivered from the darkness of the powers of evil that are affecting and controlling their lives. This is what happened in the Welsh Revival. There is tremendous prayer meetings going on to the point that the presence of God was beginning to glow in different homes at night. And I forget if that was in Herb Hebrides or Wales where this happened. But it got to the point where the presence of God was moving so strongly that people would be in the beer parlor and come under the convicting work of the Spirit of God and start to cry and repent. There was a whole dance hall with young people dancing. And the Spirit of God invaded the dance hall and the people fled from that dance hall into the church, fell on their faces with tears, weeping and repenting and coming to Christ. The, the soccer games were canceled. No one was going to the soccer games. The jails, no one was going to jail. Everyone was seeking God. There was no one in the beer parlors, hardly at all, I suppose none. And this phenomenon has happened in many other parts of the world. But in these last days, it's going to not be something that comes and goes as man gets in the way and stops what was begun. But it's going to be contained in a new order that will allow it to ever enlarge unto the return of Jesus Christ. So I want to share with you that I share these messages seeking to speak prophetically out of a heart set and mindset of worship. It is when we worship God in spirit and in truth that, we, that there's the pro prophecy that testifies of the reality of God in our midst, of the reality of Jesus Christ, which is God communicated to man in a human creature level in human form. But totally God manifest in the flesh. So before I go into the message, I want to point out that what I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is I cast lots before God to get the possibility of any chapter from the Bible, and I do with two independent random applications to get two chapters that then will bear witness with each other as to what the theme and the message is. And then I spend a half an hour only and then preach, not knowing what I'm going to preach because there's no time to prepare notes, just a little time to try to perceive what God is saying. So I will be sharing with you what God is saying by his spirit to the churches, especially in the United States and in Canada where I am, and certainly to every nation around the world. First of all, I always choose a song of worship 
And so we will sing that song now of worship that will go with this message. Um, so I'll bring that up now. And I did this by the casting of Lot before God as well. And this is the song I got out of a possibility of 1,257 different songs. And there are always songs I choose that have words on them that can be displayed and played on YouTube or, or if you got Rumble, Rumble. But I'm using YouTube um, because they have way more choices. And so these songs can be used if you don't have musicians or whatever in a church and put up by projector on the screen through playing the YouTube video through an internet connection. And so they all have deep meaning and are well, I don't choose songs that are low quality. The words have to have meaning and depth and there has to be beautiful congregational singing with it as well as very beautiful instruments such as trumpet or violin or flute or whatever. So this is one of these more well-known songs this time. And so we will go with this song today. going to come up. Yes, when nothing else could help. The 
love of God lifted me. It says in the word of God in Romans, I think it is, forgot what chapter for sure, it says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that indwells us. So that we can even love beyond our natural capacities by the power of the Spirit, the indwelling subjective presence of the Spirit of God. As Christ says, whoever believes with their life into me out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And to believe with our life into the very being of who God is in his love is to acknowledge his love first in its integrity that will not condone what is contrary to love. Love being that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. But this love is so pure, it is so holy, that it is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is the holiness of God. It is the defensive aspect of the love of God. It is the destroyer of corruption, that there might be goodness without corruption that can go on forever and ever in creative pleasures of fellowship with God and his myriads of creation and ever-enlarging pleasure that you can express in your unique creativity goes on in heaven. And of course, I've written a book called Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which you can order on the internet. And in that book, you're going to discover how amazing heaven is. Because these are people that were highly verified by doctors to have been dead like Dean Braxton for almost two hours by medical equipment and doctors. And they're people that have great integrity before God, that fear God, that would never lie because the word of God says all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And so these people share the amazing love in a dimension that makes this dimension seem like a vague dream that would be compared to 2D paper compared to this 3D physical dimension. That's how much greater the other dimension is than this third dimension, which is probably, according to secular scientists, the fifth dimension out of the 10 dimensions that they believe are there from their analysis of particle physics. But I don't mean to get off onto that. So I want to share with you now the two, chap two chapters I received today. And this is the third message this week. So we will go now to those two chapters. And I think this time I might have forgotten to paste them into a special. No, I did have a special sheet. Okay, good. Because that means that it's a lot easier to read. Now, today, the two chapters I received by the casting of the lot, when I began to read both of them, I said, I cannot see anything between these two chapters. What did I do? Did I sin, God? What's happening here? I can't see the light of day between these two chapters. And this has happened to me many times. And then I begin meditate, and I begin med and then suddenly I see it. This happens over and over. And so when it happens, sometimes I cast another lot, and I did that today, and it confirmed what the message was as well. And so you get a triple confirmation. But at first, usually when it's three chapters I choose, it's because I'm thinking, well, maybe the reason the casting of the law didn't work before God is because, you know, maybe I compromised with this person, you know, in my life or something. I wasn't 
willing to reprove them in this case. I thought maybe I didn't, maybe I'm supposed to not be so friendly to them and reprove them. You know, maybe it's not really loving to be that way. Maybe, you know, so I was, but no, it wasn't that. It was just that I needed to meditate more in these two chapters to see what it was that God was saying from these two chapters. And I didn't have the time to really put any notes about it, but I do have the verses that we're going to read. And I'm going to trust as I walk here and I am before God in his presence and a heart set and a mindset of worship that he will speak by his spirit what he is wanting to say. And so we'll begin reading, first of all, in Genesis 16. And this is the account of Abraham, who's wondering how God promised to give him a son. And here he is, 99 years old, and he doesn't have a son, and his wife is too old to have a son. And so she suggests, why don't you just go into my handmaid and have her as your wife, and then I will consider that that is my son. And so what we read, we'll start with this and to see, and this is where uh, the Ishmaelites came from, from which the um, Arabs come from, and so on, and the people that are Muslim. And so we read here, and he went in onto Hagar, which is the handmaid for his wife, Rebekah. And she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, which is Sarai, Sarai, later on she's called Sarah, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So she despised Abraham's wife because her, his wife could never seem to have children. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And then she says, The Lord, which in the original Hebrew is Yahweh, meaning the ultimate reality, the I am that I am that is above and beyond creation, separate from it. Um, Yahweh judge between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when she dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur, and he said unto Hagar, Sarah's maid, Whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her. And then we skip down in Genesis 16 to the last verse. She returns, and it says this, And Hagar bare Abraham a son, and Abraham called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And that means that God will hear because God heard her cry when she was destitute with no support probably in having this child. And Abraham was, okay, he wasn't 99 like I thought. He's four score and six years old. So he's here 86 years old when Hagar bear Ishmael to Abraham. I guess it was 99 when he had Isaac. So, Okay, so that's this account. Now, what is God saying through all of this? This becomes illuminated when we find also the other chapter, which I didn't paste in here because it's 
The other chapter that I got after this was 1 Samuel 31, and that is an account of Saul when, because he disobeyed the Lord and despised David, because he was jealous of David, that they were singing, David has slain his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. He said, he's going to take over me, take my place as king. And so he was trying to kill David and he despised David and was trying to kill him. Not only that, the daughter of Saul, Saul wanted David to have his daughter Michal because he thought she would plague him and cause a lot of trouble in his life. And sure enough, Michal, the daughter of Saul, it says she despised David when she saw him dancing before the Lord when he was bringing the ark of the Lord to be in the special place of worship. I think at first in Bethel there, if I remember right. Or, or no, Hebron probably. But um, eventually the ark was brought to Jerusalem when it was conquered. But David... <clears throat> Excuse me, I need some water. You'll recall the story of the ark. What happened was that they decided to bring the ark to, I believe it was Hebron, might be mistaken, um, and the priests that were carrying the ark were supposed to show great reverence when they carried it and to carry it on their shoulders, and they put it on an ox cart I guess because it was heavy and it was rough ground. And then the ox cart started to move the ark in a way that the priest had to suddenly put his hand forth to stabilize the ark. Now, this was a very irreverent act. And so God smote that priest dead. And when David saw that, he was, you could say he was offended that God did this and ordered the ark to be put in the house of Obadiah nearby, and it says that David was afraid of God. But then he finds out through various reports over the next few months that the house of Obadiah is getting all these incredible blessings because the ark is there. So he begins to realize he had developed a wrong perception of God. And he began to recognize that the integrity of God's love that is so pure cannot tolerate corruption in the slightest or irreverence. Because you see, when you really love someone, you don't treat them with irreverence. If you're really in love with someone, they, you are sensitive to them. You show them great respect. You're sensitive to everything that they say because you really love them. So you don't treat them as some person in a very common way in a glib way, or a light in a trivial way. And this time when David was afraid of God also speaks of a heart set that one can easily fall into, which is an idolatrous perception of God, to begin to perceive God as some kind of dictator because we can be easily offended at the consequences of God's severity upon corruption in our lives and the suffering we are experiencing in our lives in this fallen world, and all the suffering that is around us. And so we can begin to have an attitude that is a wrong perception and an unthankful attitude that begins to begin to see God as some kind of an enigma. 
he why would he do this why would he allow this and then to begin to see him as somehow yeah he's all powerful but he demands he's like a tyrant and he demands appeasement and so we've got this attitude that isn't a perception of loving god or of reciprocating the love of god but a perception like cain had that caused him to despise abel and to slay abel why did cain slay abel because his offering was not accepted before god because he brought of his own works before god of the sweat of his brow and he thought god's going to be really pleased that i'm giving all this hard work to him and god was not receiving it because cain had a wrong perception of god he had a perception of god as some mighty powerful being that needed appeasement that needed performance that demanded submission out of mere self-sufficiency within one's own being and that's what can easily allow polytheism to take place when you have an idolatrous monotheistic perception of god like that you can begin to think well maybe there's some more powerful beings like god that exist or in our language other intelligence creatures from outer space that exist uh so then you begin having this quick devolution into polytheism that happened, which I could go into a lot of deep detail that happened very quickly after the flood, but it originated from the city of Cain in the pre-flood world. And if you look at the very renowned archaeologist, David Roll, you will discover that he equates the first city that existed after the worldwide flood, which was, if I'm pronouncing it accurately, I'm not sure how accurate my pronunciation was, Erudu, um, Erudu, that that city shows things that come from the pre-flood world that have this idolatrous perception of God and they had this, what was the moon god, that demanded sacrifice. And from that it evolved into the Babylonian Empire and then to that big stone that everyone marches around where one of the gods that was picked out of those was the one that was the moon god, which was called the god. And so we know where all that went to. So here we have this tendency for us to not reciprocate the integrity of God's love, in, in other words, the holiness of God, because of the severity of God in the consequences of suffering we see around us, we say, oh, if there's a God, why would he allow all of this and this and this and this and this? And why would he let this, all these terrible tragedies to happen? We forget that he created us with as beings that have our own free will because only therein is there the capacity to love. We are the source of our own action, therefore we are self-responsible and therefore God must judge all that bounces against his ultimate reality that is indestructible with consequences of sowing and reaping. If he didn't, he would no longer be this perfection of love, and he would self-destruct himself, and the whole universe would. The reason the universe continues is because of God, because he is the very source of reality. Now, I could go into detail on all of this and, and give a very interesting message. Actually, a lot of this is talked about in my video 
that I've recently put up on ultimatemeaning.com. But what I want to share here is what we see in these passages. So in Saul's case, he was despising God. The reason he was despising God is because he was more interested in having the glory and the attention and the power and the wealth than he was in seeking to honor God and to please God. He wanted to do the performance. Saul, Samuel the prophet told him, okay, God's commanding you to totally destroy this nation and not leave anything alive because of their sacrifices to children. They were burning their children to demons and so on. And it was a terrible, terrible, wicked culture that would corrupt the whole earth. Remember, the Genesis flood happened because the whole earth became corrupt. And so, Saul spares certain things. And of course, because of that, God brought judgment upon them. And of course, God was also angry at Israel that they wanted a king. He didn't want them to have a king, and he showed his anger that they chose to be like the other nations and want a king. But we go on here, and I want to point out some other things from these verses. So the third chapter I received was Leviticus 24. And what do we read in Leviticus 24? When I cast lots, I got this one. And we read this. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this son of the Israelitish woman, and a man of Israel, strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed, and they brought him unto Moses, and his mother's name was Sheomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him curse, lay their hands upon his head, and then, you know, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curses his God shall bear his sin. And so God would not tolerate corruption in the camp of Israel, or his presence couldn't dwell among them to bring forth his ultimate purpose, which would come forth to bring forth the Messiah upon the earth, to preserve that holy seat, and then now in the last days to bring forth his corporate bride in local assemblies around the world that will then result in the return of Christ to the earth. So here we have a woman whose father is an Egyptian and he curses the Lord's name. That's despising God. He didn't need to curse God, but he cursed God probably because he heard of the judgment that came upon the Egyptian army when they pursued Israel. And of course, they found the Red Sea crossing. They found all the chariots under the sea. You can watch the videos on this through links on my site at Ultimate Meaning in that book. They found all the melted sand and stone where the children of Israel crossed. They found the rock that split open. They found the Mount Sinai that's all burnt on the top. They found all those things. And there's all the very solid archaeological, indisputable, irrefutable evidence there. And you can look at that, all those videos. 
So we have Paul the Apostle also on this, discussing this, and I should point out that it was also Hagar that was the one that brought forth Ishmael through Abraham, that that woman, Hagar, was Egyptian. I think it was her father that was Egyptian, if I remember right. But interesting that both of them, because Egypt represents a type of the world system that is corrupt and that is motivated by the temporal things of this world rather than an integral relationship with their creator. Even the word Egypt means double straits, which speaks of someone that is double-minded. In other words, you're trying to serve God, and at the same time, you're really serving, not serving God. You're serving money. You're serving, your interests are really not in what is everlasting. You're not willing to sacrifice if you're confronted with a bribe. You'd rather take the bribe, or if you're confronted to lose your job because of some situation that develops that violates obeying God, you would sell out to keep your job. I think that's what it's referring to when it refers to the church of Sardis and says that there are many that have defiled their garments there and that their names would be blotted out of the book of life because they were willing to sell out their relationship with God to keep maybe being part of a guild where they were prospering and comfortable and could live a comfortable life. But God calls us to have such a relationship with him that we love him so much out of knowing him more and more and having that corruption gradually on, you know, be taken out of our lives and replaced with the life of his spirit and of his love. What do we read here in Galatians that Paul the Apostle talks about? He says this, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, the word faith in the Greek is the word pistis, which means moral persuasion in who God is. It's a moral persuasion in the only quality that could be an ultimate trustworthiness worthy to contain unlimited power and life and authority and not be corrupted by it or use it in a corrupt way and therefore thus indicative of being the very source and therefore very God and who only God could be. The truth is basically that quality that can contain unlimited life and power and authority without corruption. The truth, if you look up in dictionaries, basically means the word reality, and the word reality means that which is indestructible, and only a love that will not tolerate corruption that is a blazing fire against corruption, as it were, could possibly be indestructible and the source of reality. And so he's saying, why have you been deceived and bewitched to not obey the truth? Before Christ, you, you have even set Christ before you on the cross as crucified. 
You remember we talked last time by the casting of Lot about the brazen serpent that God commanded Moses to build for the children of Israel to look at. And when they looked at that brazen serpent, they were healed of the poisoning from the serpents that were biting them in the desert. And Christ says that this is a type of him that would die on the cross and rise from the dead. But the children of Israel later on started to worship that brazen serpent when God only commanded them to look at it because the first commandment says you are not to make any image and worship it. But they began to worship it and they were veiled. And this happens when we begin to get our eyes on mere performance. When God gave the Ten Commandments, his intention was not that Israel would get their focus on the law via their own self-sufficiency in their own righteousness and say, oh, by keeping this law, that's what's making me pleasing to God. No, they were to love God with all their heart and being and soul and out of that focus of love on God be keeping the commandments. And God always said in the context of the keeping of the Ten Commandments that they were to love him with all their heart and being and to fear him. And to fear God is involving a deep turning and choice to, to turn deeply from the heart and reciprocate that God and his severity of holiness or of the severity of the integrity of his love is good. And to recognize how wonderful and good it is that he is holy. It is holiness that births wholeness in our inner being. That births a reality in our inner being that can only satisfy because we were created with a God vacuum. And that God vacuum can only be filled by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can only indwell us in a fullness and in a glory if we are living a life that is holy and pure. And we all are tempted. I have been tempted. There are many times when I've fallen prey to temptation in my imagination. I've got my eye on a lady or something else, being single all my life and never being married. And God, when that happens, I've repented. And I've gone on and I've come out of that deception and come into more and more a place where those things are no longer something that causes me anxiety or gets me distracted from a love relationship with God. And so we read here, This only what I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of moral persuasion in who God is. Remember, I said faith is pistis, moral persuasion in who God is, in who he is in this ultimate perfection of love that is first so pure that it will not tolerate sin, but is so ultimate in its perfection that God would humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, so that you could ask for forgiveness of all sin and be cleansed of all sin and reconciled to God and have the experience of his presence come within you like an invisible living river of life. And it becomes greater and greater the more you seek him in prayer. That river begins to flow and a wholeness comes into your being that comes out of the holy life you're living. Holiness births wholeness. And the fear of God causes us to comprehend God in awe. Awe of his holiness 
of how good it is, is the very source of beauty. It is the very source of love. So he goes on to say, I received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. You're hearing out of reciprocating who God is, not out of performance. Are ye now made perfect by the flesh, by your own self-sufficiency? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, does he it by the works of your mere performance of the law, or by moral persuasion in your relationship with God of who he is? Out of your love for God, you don't keep the law because you want to perform something to please God. You keep the law because you love God and you delight in him. You delight in the severity of his love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. So we go on and we read here. As Paul continues to describe this, he mentions about Hagar. In Galatians 4, 21 to 28, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. God, Abraham was trying to fulfill God's promise in his own self-sufficiency through going into Hagar, who was the maid for Sarah. It's an allegory. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman by the promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which tends or gendereth towards bondage, which is Hagar, which is the woman, it's called Hagar here, but it's Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, which is where the true Mount Sinai is, where it's all burned at the top and where they got all kinds of evidence of the tabernacle there and everything else that they found. And answered to Jerusalem, which is which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So at that time, Jerusalem was in bondage because you see so many things start out where God raises up leadership and people that have been put through great trials that don't have any ego. They've been so dealt with like Moses and others. And so first, there's leadership that is under the direct sensitivity to Christ the head or to Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is another way of saying it. And so, here we are. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which it now is, and is in bondage with her children. Because at that time, a religious hierarchy developed where they were more interested in their own kingdom in their own power and authority over people and controlling people and making sure they got a lot of wealth from the people and they were looked up to. And so when their little kingdom was threatened, they wanted to kill Christ. And they did crucify him on the cross. And they, of course, martyred many of the early Christians. 
that were all Jew Jewish at that time, many of them as well as many Gentiles. And so this Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And so he's talking about heaven now. And of course, I told you about the people that are in heaven and how wonderful it is there. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And of course, Isaac, God promised him a son, and after he tried in his own strength, he got Ishmael, which gave him 13 years of trouble, and so on. But then he had Isaac, which was the child of promise. And Isaac means he shall laugh. And indeed, God laughs and rejoices that finally his people come to that place where they break out of the deception of their own self-seeking ways and self-righteousness into a love relationship with him where there's liberty instead of bondage. What is God saying to the churches throughout the United States and Canada about what we are reading of here? This whole week has been a message showing that he is going to purge assemblies of corruption, of corrupt leadership, that he is going to shake all things that are shakable that what's unshakable might remain. And now we see this revival breaking out in Kentucky and spreading to other universities to break the darkness that has come over the United States in so many forums. And so, the message to the churches today is that he wants us to come back to a place where we return to the full genuine fear of God, which will never treat God as common, which will never despise the holiness of God, but we'll begin to enter into an awe of who God is and a love for God, where in our congregations, we start them not in a pre-service prayer meeting where hardly anyone attends, but we start the church service as a prayer meeting. We restore it to be his house of prayer. We're more conscious of Christ in our midst than some agenda we have where we're going to have certain people playing certain songs and doing our little thing. No, we become conscious of allowing Christ to dwell in our midst till we're more conscious of him in our midst than any person. And then we allow the Spirit of God to move through the body in prayer and in worship and in song and in to move and allow the Spirit to come forth in utterance. And so it says in the Word of God, and I see the message is getting long, it says that God has so tempered the body together that he gives more abundant honor to the part that lacks so there should be no schism in the body of Christ. And when we allow God to move through the body to come into the fullness of the headship of Christ under this new order, that will allow people that are not so highly looked up to, that aren't charismatic, to have the Spirit of God come upon them in a greater gift so that it humbles those that tend to be looked up to and undoes pride. Because the Word of God says 
that contention and division comes by pride. And God wants to break the spirit of denomination or denominative mindsets in the body of Christ that cause us not to love one another and to receive one another as Christ received us as sinners. Oh, you don't fully believe the way I believe. Oh, you're, uh, you know, United Pentecostal, you believe this and this. And oh, you're from that group, oh, oh, the Pentecostal group, or you're from, you know, this group. Oh, you don't believe in talk. Oh, you know, all of these things. What breaks a denominative mindset that is divisive is returning to the genuine fear of God that first reciprocates in great love God and his holiness. And out of that can reciprocate the greatness of God's love in his mercy towards us. God is calling us to return to our first love and to have a fresh baptism in his love and to learn what it is to come into a sensitivity not only to him but to one another so that God can move through each member of the body as he pleases. Yes, and so those that are looked up to are brought down and those that are like valleys are brought up and as it says in the word of God that he will make the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth He'll bring the mountains down and the valleys up, and then all flesh shall see the glory of God. That is what he is seeking to do in local assemblies. We need to get out of the way and let him do it. There's no reason that one should have to wait to ask permission to use a mic to speak if the Spirit of God is moving on them. Now, people have been so used to being passive that it may take certain things to facilitate this coming back. But this is what God wants to bring back in these last days. And of course, there needs to be great repentance over the many things in, the, in believers' lives that plague their lives with hardness of heart that as a result, they do not have a holy life. And this hardness of heart causes division. It causes adultery with the world and adultery with even in marriages. All of these things must be repented of in these last days thoroughly. And we must recognize that we are being manipulated by unseen powers if we are focused on the temporal baits of this world. It says that those that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Let us not even observe lying vanities. If we focus all of our life on the gods of amusement such as sports, and that's where all of our focus is, is on all that stuff, instead of redeeming the time because the days are evil. If we're partaking of those things that are an abomination in the sight of God, for the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God, it says. These are things we need to turn and repent of. That we do not condone the world. God is saying by his Spirit, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. And God is getting ready to call his people out of the world system, as is described in Revelation 18. And then his kingdom will come upon the earth and the world system will be utterly destroyed. It will come under the Antichrist. So thank you for listening to this message. And I appreciate your support if you purchase my one of my books at Amazon.com, Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable on the Afterlife, 367 pages or 68 pages in print, and 
in Kindle format, of course, you get a lot of links and, and it's cheaper. And the other one, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, what you can do in your church to bring it back to what it should be in these last days. Thank you for listening to this message.